With us in studio now is the Health Minister, Stephen Donnelly. Good morning. Good morning. And you're very welcome indeed. Listening to that woman with her four children and her two grandchildren, they got an eviction notice. They're trying to find somewhere to live. They can't find anywhere. How do you feel listening to her in light of the decision that your government made yesterday? I was very taken by it. And Dara O'Brien, Minister O'Brien, has already brought in measures whereby the local authority uh, does have funding in those cases to step in and provide uh, those properties on an ongoing basis of social housing. And I, I, I know she she contacted the local authority. Um, it is concerning that she didn't hear back. She should have heard back. Uh, and I, I, I don't speak for Minister O'Brien, obviously, but I imagine he would reference that and say there is already funding in place. And I know it's something he has emphasised a cabinet many times. Another woman earlier on the programme, Grace, a young daughter, has to leave their home in two weeks. They've nowhere to go. They can't find anywhere. And I think when we listen through the clip and we listen to the people who are saying they've been looking for places to rent for some time, ultimately what we need is more rental properties. And we have to be honest with people. And it it is easy for opposition to sort of say, well, we should just roll on with this ban forever, you know, because because, uh, for, for the reasons that they give. But the truth is that if we rolled on with that ban forever, the number I don't of think anyone's saying the, to roll the, on with it forever. Well, well, I, 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 we all know that the moment that it ends, we would be having this conversation. So I don't believe there's any period. We're of having time. the conversation now. Well, well, We're hearing from people, well, and they're in today's papers. We, we are. We've heard them on our program. They don't have anywhere to go. We are. And what I'm saying is that at any time that the ban ended, we would be having exactly this conversation, right? So what Uh, have you done in the last six months to make measures available to protect people like Grace and this woman with her children and grandchildren? So why are we having the conversation? Because we must have more rental property available. And the truth is that if we rolled on with this ban, if we weren't having this conversation, what would happen is less and less property would become available. You know, I was very taken by... Uh, the discussion yesterday, which showed that last year about there were about 15,000 less rental properties available when they look at people who are selling rental properties versus people who are making rental properties But there's nearly 12,000 people officially homeless. That's not counting all the people we heard from this morning and countless knows how many others who are sofa surfing or staying with family or whatever. So I'm asking you, what measures? You've put in place no measures in the last six months that would help people like Grace or this woman, who are given notice to quit in two weeks? Well, they have. So since the ban came in place, there's about 7,000 more social houses available, for example. What the government is doing at the moment is the biggest expansion in social housing and social and, and private rental stock and cost rental stock in a very long time. So the figures I've seen are that more social houses were built last year than any year since 1970. OK, but the homeless numbers, I mean, you, you keep making that point and government ministers keep making a point about how many houses are being built. The fact is there's nearly 12,000 people officially homeless, not counting all of these others. What are they to do? Well, the, the reason I and other government ministers keep talking about the fact that there are record numbers of houses being built is because that's the only real solution to this. The problem is we have too many people looking for too few houses. So the only real solution, the only sustainable solution to this is to build more and more houses. And that's exactly why we're talking about it. What Minister O'Brien has brought in numerous measures. He's Mm. brought in uh, shared equity schemes. He's brought in cost rental schemes. Uh, He has overseen the biggest expansion of social housing stock in in, in nearly 50 years. 
ultimately, Audrey, we have to be honest with people. We can talk about short-term measures. We can talk about rental assistance. We can talk about these things. The only thing that is going to fix this is having enough housing units in our country and that is what the government is absolutely committed to providing. In relation to what we heard from Jack Horgan-Jones there, this memo that was put to Cabinet, did the government actually put the concerns and rights of landlords ahead of renters? Absolutely not. Everything that we are doing and the conversation we are having is about two things. How do we provide as much security of tenure as possible to tenants? And how do we make sure that there are enough rental units available? But this memo was reported to have said that ending the extending the eviction ban would be seen as a serious breach of trust by government from a landlord's perspective. And why that's relevant is because the concern is that more people who make these properties available for rent would simply sell up. As I said, the figures in the memo suggested a reduction of about 15,000 properties last year. Government has to be cognizant of that. We have to make sure that there are options available for, for people to rent. And as we heard from your clip this morning, far too many people simply can't get access to a rental property at any price. Are you that's still a landlord? Yes, I am, yeah. And, and, and have been a renter for many, many years as well. So I've seen it from both sides. I want to talk to you about hospital waiting lists because they are um, at an all-time high, um, nearly one million people on waiting lists. You're announcing uh, another waiting list action plan today. Uh, the target this time is 10%. Uh, you only managed a 4% cut last year, even though the target was 18%. What hope is there of reaching even a 10% target? So to be clear, they're not at an all-time high. Uh, Last year, we had the first reduction in waiting lists uh, since 2015. It was a very important year in turning the tide on that. The figures that uh, all political parties are signed up to are the Slauncher Care maximum waiting times, that no patient should wait more than 10 or 12 weeks. Since the peak of COVID, we've seen a 24% reduction in the number of people waiting over that time. To put that in perspective, that's 150,000 men, women and children. We're going to press on with that this year. I want to see a big reduction in that. Uh, there is progress being made. Yes, I would have liked to have seen more taken off the list last year. Nonetheless, 56,000 less patients were waiting over the Slauncher care figures uh, now as opposed to this time last year we're going to keep going with that momentum is building uh, but I asked you about the target you only managed a 4% cut last year you're aiming to cut them by 10% this year that's right How realistic is that? I think it is realistic. I I think with the benefit of hindsight, the figures for last year, we were probably over, over optimistic. We were probably overly ambitious. And there was the Omicron wave, which compromised the ability to deal with the waiting list for probably about uh, two months. But we are we are targeting 10 percent this year. It'll be higher than that for the numbers waiting over the Sloan Care figures. And critically, what we've been also focusing on is the patients who've been waiting the longest. So last year, for example, the number of patients waiting a year and a half or more for an outpatient appointment, believe it or not, fell by 40% in just one year. The number of patients waiting over 12 months for a GI scope fell by nearly 90, 90% last year. So we've been focusing on those waiting the longest. We're focusing now on those waiting over the agreed maximum wait times. Okay. I think it. I think this is going to be the second year in a row since 2015 uh, that 
that the waiting lists are going to fall. But there's still over 800,000 people on them. It, there are far too many people on them. There were there were far too many people on them before COVID arrived. Uh, COVID made, uh, meant that there were an awful lot more waiting on them uh, as well. Yes, there's far too many people waiting and that's why we're, we are prioritising patients on trolleys and patients on waiting lists as, as I would say the top two political priorities in healthcare. Okay, I want to ask you finally, finally about the hospital consultants contract. That new contract coming into effect today but there's a, a snag in that a majority of consultants who are represented by the Hospital Consultants Association and the Irish Medical Organisation say they won't accept it. Are you going to plough on anyway? Oh, we absolutely are. So to be clear, we are offering a contract now which is very attractive. We're offering a contract that pays €257,000 for 37 hours work. Uh, when you add on on-call, many consultants will earn over €300,000 and on top of that, we'll have essentially unlimited private practice off-site. It's a really important contract for patients. We were talking about waiting lists. We know we know that we need more senior decision makers on-site in hospitals uh, at longer times for patients at the weekends, uh, uh, in the evenings. We're in the middle of the biggest expansion of the workforce, of hospital beds, of diagnostics and the public health system uh, in decades. This is a really uh, important part of that. They actually say it's not about the money. They they say that you pushed ahead with the talks, you made a unilateral decision to conclude them and present this final document on a take it or leave it basis. Will there be any new talks with them? Uh, there will be no new talks, but can I be very clear that the what they're putting about is in fact very misleading. The independent chair concluded after a year and a half of talks that there was no further progress to be made. He recommended to both sides that we uh, finish on the contract as it was then. That's exactly what we did. Uh, I accepted that. I think the IHCA's response has been very uh, disappointing. Uh, I saw the circular they sent around to their members. All we really asked was that they do what, in fairness to the IMO, did. They presented to present the contract in a balanced way, of course raise concerns, but also point to the very significant positives in the contract for consultants and patients. The IHCA chose not to do that. They circulated what I believe was a very negative and very misleading communication to their members, uh, and I I would have no doubt that that is in part what led to some of their members uh, getting spooked. Okay. I can't, let me just fi- finish on this if okay. I may. 40% of the I- IMO doctors have said they're going to take the contract. Nearly a third of the IHCA doctors have said they're going to take the contract. That's a good start. Okay. We know that there are doctors in the system who quite frankly, make so much money from private treating private patients in public hospitals that they'll never take it. Um, but a third or more have said they will. I think a lot more when they see this contract in operation, they see the much higher wage being paid, they see the, more, the, the flexibility in the contract. I think more of them will take it because okay. ultimately this is about driving down the waiting lists and getting patients the care they need when they need it. Thank you very much indeed. We did ask for a representative from the Irish Hospital Consultants Association to talk to us this morning, but no one was available. Health Minister Stephen Donnelly, thank you for coming in.